Hello, everyone. It's Michael from the show. Just a quick note before we get started. You will hear occasional ambient noise, some kind of clicking noises and things in the background of the interview. That is not your headphones. It's not your audio device. That is us. We had uh, several little equipment issues that had happened that we didn't know about until after the recording was done because they were so minuscule. And that's our, our end. There's some great stuff in this interview, though, and it's definitely worth sticking through those annoying little things. So I thought I would mention that ahead of time so you're not worrying about your own equipment. Hope you enjoy this great interview. Welcome to this Business of Music and Poetry podcast, where the life of a creative meets the real world. I'm Michael Amade, host of World Poetry Open Mic, the Michael Amade Show, author of more books than I should mention, poet, musician, and above all, creative entrepreneur. My collaborator and conspirator on this project is Clifford Brooks, founder of the Southern Collective Experience, host of Dante's Old South on NPR, poet, the author of The Draw of Broken Eyes and Whirling Metaphysics, Exiles of Eden, and Athena Departs, A Gospel of a Man Apart. Our guest today is Alicia Brooks. Alicia Brooks is a literary agent with the Jean V. Nagger Literary Agency. She began her career in book publishing over 20 years ago, working her way up from being an editorial assistant at Penguin USA to being an editor at Picador St. Martin's Press. Over the course of her career, she has worked with Noel Howie, Negan Mescliam, Ben Brantley, Pat Conroy, and Margaret Atwood. Without any further ado, here is our interview with Alicia Brooks. Well, we are here again for this business of music and poetry. And this evening, we have literary agent Alicia Brooks with us. Alicia, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Well, I want to jump in with both feet. And um, Amade and I have been talking over these last couple of shows on and off of how, in our view and many people's views, that the literary agent is kind of like a unicorn. They're, they're, they're mystical and they're magical, and, and you don't know how to catch one and don't know what to do with one if you did catch one. So give us some background on you first and uh, how you got into the game of literary agent. Okay. Well, from the age of 17, I knew that I wanted to be in book publishing. And uh, so I got um, an internship at UC Press in Berkeley, and I was there for two summers uh, working on academic titles. But I decided that I wanted something a little more glamorous. So I moved to New York and I interned for the Virginia Barber Literary Agency. And at the Virginia Barber Agency, I worked with Jennifer Egan, Alice Monroe, and Ann River Siddons. Okay, now you have mentioned before to me that you, you know, you were an editor first. So will you describe your roles as a book editor and what your roles were as now as a literary agent? Um, as a book editor, first you acquire the titles. Um, a literary agent will usually send you a proposal or a manuscript. And um, in my experience, you usually fall in love right away. And um, I have very strong instincts about what I want to do and how I want to spend my time. It takes a minimum of nine months for uh, to publish the average book. Uh, sometimes books are crashed, but usually at least nine months. Okay. Now, um, tell me about the agency you work for now. Uh, what's their history? What are they about? 
Uh, it's a boutique agency. Uh, it's a small group of women, and uh, it's been around for 40 years. Uh, the head of the agency, Jean Nagar, um, took on uh, Jean Owl um, the, of the Clan of the Cave Bear series. And another best-selling author that we have is Philip Margolin. My mom loves those Clan of the Cave Bear. I hadn't thought about that forever. I should, I should call her right now. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I'm serious. That's all she used to talk about at a flash. Um, what is the name of your agency now again? The Jean Nagar Literary Agency. Yeah, it's been around for 40 years. And Correct. you got on board recently? Uh, it's been nine months. Nine months. Um, since being there, uh, have you found it to be like the perfect fit job? I mean, when you stepped into it, did you, did you get this feeling like this is it? Absolutely. Um, my thesis advisor at Wellesley College gave me some sage advice. He said that I should try to be a big fish in a small pond. And I've taken that advice and applied it to every job that I've ever had. Okay. Now, from your point of view, as the literary agent, uh, what are some of the pros and cons um, uh, of being an editor? Like, you know, what are those some, what, what are those things that you ran into that you didn't expect, and what are those some of those things that like really make you love your job? Uh, being an editor, a pro would be that you get to acquire your own list, and you you're a taste builder, you're an arbiter of taste, which is very exciting. Um, a con would be that it's a very competitive job, so you have to find a way to be aggressive and a team player. Okay. And as far as a, a literary agent, now how on those, the, 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 the authors that you have on your list, how did you come about finding most of those? Well, I uh, was in publishing for 10 years in book publishing as an editor. Um, unfortunately, a family tra tragedy uh, was the reason that I left. Um, but while I was gone, I missed publishing intensely. And um, when I was ready to come back, I only called two agencies and I landed this job. Nice. It's, do you find that when, uh, and again, this is something that, that Amade and I love touching on this show, is that the, the guests we have that are like you, that are so full of energy and light and love what they do, um, what are some of the... What's some advice that you would give somebody who's looking to become uh, an, an, an agent and knows that that would bring them that same kind of uh, joy in life? What's some of the advice that you wish that someone had told you before you got in the game? You have to love networking. Um, this job is all about networking and who you know. Um, you have to be aggressive. You have to be willing to make cold calls. You have to be fearless. And, I mean, and... To get off the script of being an agent, like, you know, what else uh, in your life that, that gives you that kind of happiness? Like, what do you do to get out when, when, when the job gets too heavy? What do you do to get out of that mindset and relax? I for love the theater. I was actually Ben Brantley's editor at St. Martin's Press. Shut um, up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I edited the New York Times Book of Broadway. This is ridiculous. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I'm so happy to have you on. Uh, it, it, it's when, when do you do you find that to to get a job in any any of these branches, either in writing or representing authors, you really have to love words, don't you? Yes. Um, and so again, for you with with words, did that kind of turn into to like the love of music that had you? Did you really love doing the Broadway book? Oh, 
theater's my passion. <laughs> really, I, I'm a theater junkie. So, um, you know, whenever I want to relax, I go to the theater. Do you find that your love of theater, because there's a there's a part of you that the, the actress that that it, not to, not to even insinuate any kind of falseness, but that that exuberance on stage and getting over stage fright does that help you in networking? Uh, I never thought of that before. That's interesting. I was in a lot of theater when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, and at Wellesley College, I was in the Shakespeare Society. Nice. And we used to, you know, it was an all-women's college, so we would dress up as men and act Shakespeare. So um, I have had experience, you know, conquering my fear. Do you find that along the way uh, in your life as you've grown as an, an artist, because I do believe what you do is absolutely an art unto itself. Thank you. Um, do, do you, have you found that, that, uh, that a love for books and, and your love for theater, that it, it, you see that, do you read the manuscripts that you get excited about in your head as if they were movies? A lot of people write their stories as if they see them as movies. Do you read them as if you're seeing them as movies? No, I would not say I do that. Um, I'm a wordsmith. I, I read for the language. Okay. Well, getting back to like the, the language in the, in the book itself, how is acquiring books as an editor different from agenting? Um, acquiring is about relationships. Um, you know, if you get yourself out there and, you know, you're really articulate and uh, present yourself well, you're going to attract better submissions. So, and, you know, of course, it, it helps to be well-liked by your colleagues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, now it's one thing that 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 I didn't really look for an agent until recently, and it's because I have heard time and time again that if you write poetry, that you shouldn't even bother looking for an agent. That agents won't won't even give you the time of day. Um, what do you think about that? That's interesting. Um, it depends on the poetry. Is it commercial? I mean, does it have a commercial potential? I mean, you know, Joe Balowski at Norton does a lot of poetry. She does Robert Pinsky. So it's possible. You know, it, it's doable. Uh, it, it, and, you, and you hit on that, and I almost jumped out of my chair because <laughs> you know, I'm serious. What Amade and I hone in on, and, and it's the reason why this show is called This Business of Music and Poetry, is because so many artists, and I don't know where this comes from, that they, they, somehow our vocation is seen as and i guess because we create this tangible thing from the intangible and that being our imagination to the page but it's what what you said is like is, is it marketable people like they, they want to balk at that like oh no this is art well it's still a product it is what can you sell this to people are you using language that people can get into that they understand or is this cryptic nonsense that's it's not cryptic you trying at all. to yeah, exactly exactly so i mean again like just for all those poets out there um, it, it, you know, it's it's about does your work communicate to the masses, or is or you know, it, does this say something that is important to to to? Can you sell this? Which honestly, yeah. you know, I mean, the the writing of it, the love of it, of course, that's got to be there first. Just the way you adore what you do for a living. If you don't love what you're doing, it's it's, it's not going to read well to other people. So, would you say that you know, again, to those who believe that, or poets that believe that agents aren't something that they that they can, can get that. They need to look at themselves and their work and say, hey, can I sell this? Is that fair? Well, I would say if you're aspiring, um, you should build a platform 
you should try to get published in as many publications as possible before you approach an agent or while you're in process. Um, you know, maybe an agent will sign you on after you've been published in a couple of publications and you just keep building until the agent is ready to send out your submission. That hits on again. You make this so easy. Um, it, it leads. <laughs> it leads. It leads into my question is like, what are some things you've already mentioned? One, like you know, whether you're, I'm sure, with prose or with poetry, it's getting your stuff out, bringing something to the table with your agent and saying, these people have already bought into my work. Uh, I'm bringing you a platform that you know, and, and an audience um, built into my project. That could make it sweeter for the agent to agree. What are some other things that someone looking for an agent can bring to the table to make them more attractive to an agent? Uh, I always like charisma in my clients. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there's another jump out of the seat moment. Can, you know, as far as there's just as we just said that there, there there's a product. Your your book, your your intellectual property, is a product, and. I've had friends that get great book deals and they, you know, they, they sign this, this fair contract and they get the book and then they sit there with their first box of book and goes, all right, where's that million dollar check? Right. Dude, there's a, there's work to be done. And That's just, right. just as an agent can help open doors, the artist has to understand they are going to have to get out in front of people, be right. likable because I, I, I've, I've been to so many readings where they read their poetry like a speaking spell or so no. monotone you feel like you're back in Ferris no, Bueller's day off. Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. And you can't, <laughs> you, you've got, there's got to be a spark there. There's showmanship involved, right? That's right. Absolutely. That, that's where the theater comes in. Exactly. Exactly. And being able to read your work, uh, should, should artists, um, should writers, should they, um, like many people will record themselves like doing videos and put them on YouTube, you know, of yeah. other people's right. Is that a good way for them to practice? And awesome. Awesome. Because videos now, you know, is from being an SEO writer to, you know, being a, uh, being a poet. I mean, I have found that people will click on videos faster than any blog article. That's correct. Okay. I, I often put links to videos in my pitch letter. Awesome. Now tell us what a pitch letter is. Uh, I'm trying to hook an editor's interest from the get-go. So um, I'll provide uh, a short synopsis, which um, is very punchy, and then I'll discuss the writer's platform. Now, that's what you do. Now, what we do as the authors for you, we write you query letters, correct? Correct. What needs... Because query letters are like biographies to me. It's like, my, you know, when I want to write down, I feel like, oh, my God, I'm so vain to be doing this. But no, no, no. You know, you got to sell it somehow. What makes a good query letter, in your opinion, for you? What makes it sing? I would say pizzazz. It, it has to capture my attention instantly. Mm -hmm. Now, we've got, you know, to, to, from the query letter to, now, when they submit to you uh, the, the query letter and then it's got your attention. Now, you get to their work. Should they send you the whole book, or they no. should they? What? Okay, tell us what they should send you with the query letter. Uh, probably thirty pages. Uh, so that's thirty pages of poetry or prose. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, uh, probably not as many pages with poetry. Maybe twenty, okay. but um, thirty for a full-length manuscript. Um, and for a proposal, a sample chapter. Okay. Okay. Now, I love this question. What 
what are some of your pet peeves? Like, what can somebody do to make sure you don't pick them? Um, harass me. <laughs> no, amen. Amen. So, did you read it yet? So, did you read it yet? So, did you read it yet? You know, no. I mean, do you find, and what can they put in a query letter that'll turn you off? Oh, that's a good question. If the description of the book is flat, of course it's not going to work. Right. I mean, because, I mean, it, 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 is it fair to say they can't really, if they can't use words to grab you in a query letter, it's probably hard to think that they're going to be able to keep your attention through a book. Correct. Does that sound right? Correct. Right. I mean, it's, it's qu query letters are something that, I mean, again, it's kind of an elusive art. And it, is there a, is there a way, where, what's kind of a guideline, kind of backing up the query letters again, like, you know, what's kind of the ABCD that people can make, the things they need to make sure are in the query letter? Um, I would advise using precise, powerful language, um, emphasizing your platform and being thorough about conveying it. And I think it's that simple. Okay. Now, I have personally... I mean, I, now and again, let me preface this by saying I'm not one of those that just for the sake of hating it, you know, hates the big publishers. But I have found that dealing with m middle publishers and smaller publishers uh, tend to give you um, more creative control. They're easier to get in contact with um, kind of a face to face one on one relationship between you and them. With you being uh, with a, with a uh, uh, with a boutique agency and one that can you can can your agency can you give that same kind of like one on one attention then versus like the really big ones like what are some of the pros and cons with I'm making uh, my business to give that kind of attention I'm very picky about who I take on as a client um, because I know that I'm gonna give them 110 percent so but I would say to you that if you find the right editor at the right house they're gonna give you just as much attention. Okay. It, stepping back, you know, uh, what are some of the benefits to working with a smaller agency versus one of the big five? Um, well, what I love about working for a smaller agency is that we have a staff meeting once a week. And uh, it's, since it's a small group of us, we get to bounce ideas off of one another and give each other advice. Uh, I think that's very helpful. Um, at a bigger agency, I mean, I've never worked for a bigger agency, but I'm not sure it's so intimate. Right. And I mean, it, it's to me, like I said, it, it's, it's, I think it's, again, it's not a judgment call on just simply being a bigger house. I mean, I've run into people that like, well, I don't like them. They're too big. Well, is it because they're too big or because they told you no? And it's typically the latter, you know? Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it, it when if, if somebody wants to, to find an, an agent, you know, wh what are some of the places they can go that, um, that, are, publishers, that are reputable? Uh, publishers Marketplace. Um, it's a website and um, you subscribe for twenty five dollars a month and um, you can search for an agent um, by finding out what deals um, an agent has made or um, plugging in the name of a house and seeing what deals a particular editor made. It's very creative. Amade, what you got, buddy? Well, so I'm, I'm, as I'm sitting here listening, I think this is all really great stuff, and thank you so much for, for sharing it. I think sure. uh, one, uh, one little question that kind of pops in my head, which I, I think is funny because this part never really gets discussed because everybody's always worrying about how to get an agent. 
But let me ask you this question. What are some things that, and you don't have to name names, obviously, but what is something that you see authors that you've taken on that maybe you've even had a book published or or kind of have a great piece of work that you really think has some traction? What mistakes do you see them making in the process of publishing and kind of getting a book out there and promoting it? And, and I mean, what, what do you wish you would see less of or perhaps more of, however you want to take it? I think it's important for authors to do their research. You know, find an agent who's a good fit for you and um, who's vice and vice versa. Um, you know, if you're if you're sending out to 15 agents and you're just doing it in a haphazard way, I, I don't think you're going to make that important connection. I think that that really makes it. We talked about forever, Cliff and I, on this show that is this is about relationships, pure and simple. And uh, I think it's something that I've noticed, and I know Cliff has too, because of the stuff we individually do that we just get bombarded by submissions by people who don't pay attention. Who just, right. You know, I'm sure this has got to be like such a huge part of your world as well. So you have to develop these systems to just kind of like cut through all that. Otherwise, you're just going to spend forever reading half thought through things. Let me ask this question. So someone say say someone is a wonderful writer, but they're horrible mm -hmm. at promoting themselves. But every step you said is like you know, for instance, uh, I want to be gripped by the by the letter. I want to be gripped by these things. Sometimes people aren't processing things like that. So what would you uh, or they don't necessarily think of writing in that way? Um, what would you recommend a, a potential author want? Uh, do to learn how to write gripping work? Should they go study copywriting a little bit? Should they just, mm -hmm. what, what do you think? I would say get public speaking experience. Ah, that's great. Okay. And why, why do you think that is? What do you think about public speaking that would help them? Because your tour is going to be just that. That makes a ton of sense too. And then you also have to kind of figure out how to capture the audience's attention. Right, exactly. Ah. I mean, you can do so much with the radio and um, with author appearances and podcasts. I mean, it's important to be able to um, communicate effectively. I, I think that's that makes a lot of sense too. And and so let me ask let me ask this as well because you're talking about building a platform. And I think a lot of people know what that is, but when you're talking about a platform, it is probably a focused platform, right? It's not like someone who just has a bunch of friends on Instagram who post ridiculous pictures of them doing yoga that's with inspirational quotes, right? Like. Yeah. It's something like, for instance, Cliff. You're very Cliff is very directed with with his uh, platform and his social media stuff, um, mm -hmm. and I think I can see the difference. People expect poetry from someone like Cliff, uh, as opposed to just having a lot of people. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I think that's a big point. Um, so, so as far as all of that, all of that goes, I've one thing I've noticed quite a bit, and I know I'm just rapid fire giving this to you. So thank oh, you for fine. being patient. Um, the uh, one thing I, I noticed a lot too is artists' ability to, and I'm sure this is no news to you, shoot ourselves in our own foot. And uh, do you do you see sometimes this kind of imposter syndrome, this fear of selling yourself, ever pop up when an author kind of needs to be involved? I mean, obviously, you are able to kind of take this, and you're the one who's able to do the talking and connect and really find a way to present this the right way. But do you ever see authors just kind of choke? when it comes time for them to uh, to really make something happen? A little bit. Some authors are uh, antisocial. <laughs> That's a surprise. <laughs> I'm shocked. Uh, I, I try to make it my business to be a cheerleader as well yeah. and, you know, to inspire confidence. So I hope that I can help them conquer that. I can't say enough about, well, 
one of the best pieces of advice that I was given by my first publisher, because now I'm much more reserved. But back then, uh, when I got excited, especially I would talk like a machine gun and, uh, he got me on the phone and I was about to go to my first reading and he said, Cliff, listen to me. Like I'm listening. And he said, read your poetry like <laughs> this. And I mean, it was, and, and it sounds insane, but when you, when you talk about, and I love that you hit on this, is that public speaking is a must. I hear constantly from me and from other artists, like, well, I'm an introvert. And, and I don't say it out loud in the moment, but it's like, well, duh. I mean, I, I think that I know pe people who write are... We have to have that introverted streak because we spent so much of our time cloistered away in our own head making believe. And it's awesome. That's not making light of it. I mean, we get I know, to play beautiful. Cowboys and Indians as adults. I mean, that's the way I want to spend my life. Um, and, and But, you know, I grew up uh, with public speaking being an integral part of um, my scholastic career. And in the, in the time we had to memorize speeches and I had to be comfortable in front of people. Um, and that in the time, in the moment, I mean, I was, I, I love the competition. I, I enjoyed doing it, but I didn't know what, a, how much it would help until I got up in front of people and went to, to readings, both fiction and, and for poetry. And it's not that, oh, they sound different than I thought, or they, they, they read that differently than I read it. It's the fact that you have so many that get up and I'm not being mean, but they never They've never, it seems to me, read their stuff aloud. They, they've, they seem so, they seem so uncomfortable that you don't, you don't, you don't listen to their words. You're more caught up in how awkward the entire that's going. So, I mean, the, the, the and, and I, I say that because it, it, you know, it, there's, there's different kinds of homework for writers to do. And if you can bring that complete package or as complete as it could be to your agent, as you said before, that truly helps you. Um, it, it helps sweeten the deal and, and it helps seal it, I think. But the writers also have to understand that agents don't go in and do all the work for you. You've got to have done the practice yourself. You've got to, you know, when you get up in front of people, be able to deliver the goods. Is that fair to say? Well, let me tell you something. I think that writing and speaking are intertwined. Um, when I coach my writers to imp about improving themselves, I have them speak what they're trying to say out loud. And as they're speaking, I kind of clean it up and edit it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's more polished. So having them say something out loud that they're having trouble articulating is, is a strong part of how I teach writing. And I hear, I, I, I hear so much of the teacher in you. And, and, and what I mean by that is, like what you just said, like the, the, the hands-on personality-driven approach um, is very is different than what many might think of as the, the stale, I'm doing quotation fingers, business side of things. But it seems to me that, that, that you bring a, a strong nurturing to your client base. Is that Absolutely. true? Absolutely. I mean, like you said, I have a real passion for this, and my joy is, is in the nurturing. Okay. Now that the kind of reining it back to some of the the, the more technical stuff, you know, I've I've been told that you know, with an agent that 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 first read is an extremely valuable one. Uh, as an editor or an agent, uh, do you edit or take notes the first time you read through? Um, some notes, but I usually know. With I know it sounds odd, but I usually know within the first paragraph whether or not I want to sign somebody up. That is, that is I hear that. 
I I hear that so often because I think in every writing course or tutorial I've ever sat in on or given or take they I don't care if it's a poem or if it's a if it's a, it's a novel that first poem or that first paragraph is probably the most important thing you'll write. Correct. Because if that didn't catch people, they're going to they're going to put the book down and pick from the bazillion others that are sitting on other shelves. You got it. Um, what are some of the things that 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 people have used in their first paragraph to just grab you by the throat? The first sentence has to be spectacular. And, and people, I mean, again, I'm not even writing this right now. I'm like, oh my god, that's so much pressure. But uh, well, I, keep practicing. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's you know it you know just like with submitting to magazines, you know, if one agent doesn't accept your work. That's not a judgment call of their person, is it? I mean, it might no. just not be their thing, right? Um, agents have very different personalities. It's it's like matchmaking. Um, I joke that I'm a yenta. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it really is like dating or, or even online yeah. dating. Yeah. You, you have to find your match. And it's so, I mean, again, it, it's that people, people looking for an agent, you've already said this before, but like, you know, they need to do their homework right. about the agent because, you know, I early in my career, I made the tragic mistake of just going, oh, I like the name of that magazine, not reading their submission guidelines, not reading what they and just sending blindly. And then I would get like, oh, my God, they didn't like my work. Right. And, it, it, and, and, you know, over years, I realized that this is not someone saying your work is worthless and so are you. You know, it, it, it was more on me that I didn't do the, take the time and due diligence to really look at what they're dealing with. With an agent, it, it seems like that's even more so. Like you said, there's a relationship because if it works out and you get in, I mean, right. you're going to be talking with them the whole way through. So, right. you know, it, just having an agent isn't enough. You need to have an agent that that sees your work and, and kind of sees where you're coming from, because without that, they can't really represent you, can they? Uh, not effectively. There you go. Um, now, when you read manuscripts. Uh, I know we ask this of writers all the time. Like, where do you go when you want to write? And what 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 rituals do you go through before you get ready or you know during writing? What do you do when you're reading manuscripts? Do you do it in the office? Do you where do you go to get comfortable to sit down with with you know I, kind of? Sometimes I'll do it in the office, but most of the time I prop up a pillow in bed and read in bed. <laughs> <laughs> um. Will you talk a little bit about the process of trying to sell a book to a publisher? What does that look like? Okay, so, um, like I said, it's all about relationships. Um, I have to do my homework, and I have to know who could be right for your project. So, um, I poke around, I ask around, I have a ton of lunches with editors, and when it comes time to submit the project... Um, I always pick up the phone and call the editor. Um, having that conversation is a way to convey my passion for my client's work. Now, you took what is a once you like you lock in with a client and you, you've agreed to represent their work. Um, since we writers can be a socially awkward bunch. Mm -hmm. and, you and you mentioned before, like, don't harass me. You know, what's a, what's a healthy kind of relationship that a writer 
what what kind of, can can expect with you like what's the best way for them once they've signed with you to approach you you know again like writing you every day you know trying to call you every hour should they kind of what what's the what's the etiquette for communication between an, an editor and their and the, or an agent and their client i think just use common sense mm-hmm. um you know calling every single day uh it's it's too much okay. but you know being considerate and polite is nice uh, you know i i certainly you know i want to do as much as i can for you but you know i'm juggling a lot of other clients too Right. So, um, just if you're putting too much pressure on me, it, it's a little disorienting. Right. Extremely unpleasant, I would imagine. Um, do you write creatively? Do you, do you enjoy writing? Um, at Wellesley College, I took a creative writing course, and I loved it. And actually, I picked up a, call, a couple of my clients from that class. Okay. Which is interesting, because it was a long time ago. Right. Um, but I remembered them, and I remembered who stood out. Um, but I was also an English teacher for five years, so I've had a lot of time to perfect my own writing and I, I think I'm a better writing coach. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems to me that, and maybe this is, you know, this is common sense, but if you don't, as an agent, love writing, love words, dabble in it yourself, you know, trying to get into this world as a literary agent wouldn't do them any favors, would it? Uh, what's the point? <laughs> right, right. If you, it's just, I mean, is it, you know, is, and I think, you know, with every vocation, you, you see folks that, that uh, you wonder, you know, how and why, because you're so miserable, would you even be in this vocation? You know, and, and you know, and most times I believe that, you know, many of people, and no matter what vocation it is, they do it for the status, but then, when you look at their success rate, it's not very high. Um, and again, maybe this is common sense, but you know, with with writing or with being an agent or an editor, you got to love what you do because what we're dealing in is emotion. And if you can't tap into that, you can't really sell it. So, you know, from your point of view, um, for other, for people looking to become an agent, uh, what are some things that what are some things that they that, that and I'm kind of already asked this, but like for, as an agent for an agent coming up, you know, what do they need to make sure that they focus on as far as the love of the job that if they didn't love it, it would kind of get on their nerves. Like, what are some of the things of your job that they that, that if someone wants to be an agent, they've got to love that. Like, what are those things? I that- think a good agent is a good entrepreneur. Okay. Um, you have to be creative. You have to see things from all angles. You have to be into marketing and publicity and design and um, promotion. I mean, there's so many um, hats you're wearing. And if you love to wear all those hats, you're perfect for the job. So multitasking is a must. Yes, I would say so. Okay. Okay, so this leads me to this question. are there any professional mistakes? Don't mean to get too personal here, but are there any personal mistakes uh, that, in hindsight, you could have avoided, or any difficult truths in the public in- publishing industry you wish you'd known about before you started? Um, when I was an editor for Nantalee Doubleday and for Picador, I did not seek out work-life balance. I was doing the job um, from 9:30 in the morning to 11 at night, so I would always be the last editor to leave 
the office building. And that was a little nuts. <laughs> um, I, I regret it. Um, it. It was it was too exhausting. What is the most common challenge you face every day as an agent or previously as an editor? Like, what did you come up against that was that's hard to swallow sometimes? Uh, I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question? No, I'm sorry. Uh, what are the what is, uh, is the most common challenge you face um, as an editor or an, as a what is the most common challenge you face as an agent or previously as an editor? Uh, as an agent, it's getting it's making sure that um, your submission gets to the top of the pile. You know, editors get so many submissions; they're just flooded with them. So you have to push harder than everybody else. When you mention the word entrepreneur, right? Because these yes. people are creating a project, they're creating a product that with an end market, and then the agent is the one helping helping navigate that to where it needs to go, so it has the best chance of reaching that that market. Um, but because we're one thing I've noticed that I think a lot of writers run into is we tend to kind of um, seek others' approval and think that there's like a magic key, like if you accidentally do this this particular thing that no agent will ever talk to you and it'll be the worst thing ever. Um, but it seems it's so much more about relationships. It seems like, but could you kind of speak to potential or, you know, up and coming authors, people who want to get an agent, what kind of person are you, you hoping to find when you find a potential author that you want to take on? I think it's somebody who really cares. Hmm. Um, you know, just exploding with, caring <laughs> sure and, um someone who has editing skills and someone who is very creative the choice between pride obviously we have, we want to take pride in what we do and ego which is a different thing that we run into a lot with with creatives do you find that the the authors that you love working with the most are they the ones who are yes they take pride but they're they're willing to check their ego to make things better do you find yeah. those are, are those the people you're looking for or well, I one of my all my clients are precious. Uh, there's one client I have who's been with me since 1996, and um, he's a genius, and he's also really humble. I think you know the 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 thing that I found is you know I have agents for various things in my life. I have you know a booking agent, and I have these different things, and I don't know if and I'm saying this to you, so you know this. Hopefully, you already do. People who you work for really appreciate you. I know I deeply appreciate the agents that I have that really go to bat for me and, and work. Uh, my father was very wise, and he always said, it's nice to be appreciated, and he was right. I love it. It's, it is, it's so true. I don't mean to jump in on this. Uh, no, go ahead. Me, but but it, it's you know being likable. It's not being perfect, and, and, and that's not a subjective term. I think that, you know, uh, when you when you talk about what Amade was saying, you know, charisma is important, as you said earlier. Um, you know, a, a likable personality helps out a whole lot. Being humble, huge, huge benefit. Um, but to be able to, as as the author, what Amade already you know touched on with the ego, and I want to bounce back on this because it just struck me again. Like you're kind of the complete package because not Thank every you. not every agent is an editor. And so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it seems, you know, once you signed it, you know, to, to have you look over someone's work 
to be able to look at it, okay, to look at it in one respect as just purely an agent and say, okay, I can sell this. That's that's awesome. But for you, you can say, okay, I can sell this, but I can see here where some of the chinks can be smoothed out and some of the holes can be filled in. You know, as an as a writer, it's important to be able to, to hear that feedback because, you know, there there it is it a common. Is it, is it common to find a lot of agents who are also editors, or is, is this kind of a smaller yeah, pool of people? It's become increasingly common. Um, okay. I, one of my strongest skills is the ability to coax reluctant authors to make changes. <laughs> 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 so, it, but I mean, so it, it's you know, as a, as an agent to potential clients, you know, they 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 you know, I find the biggest hurdle sometimes to fight because you know I, i've seen work and you know you, you see just where they i guess again not trying to make this about me but uh, you know when 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 someone comes up to me after a reading and says i love this but i really didn't understand and they're kind of timid to tell you i'm all ears for that because one i feel like that if the whole room t- says you're a genius somebody's lying but two if if like you stepping in to help somebody with their work if an artist closes themselves off and thinks they're the only right in the situation it seems like that's going to stunt their progress in any field with literature. Is that close to fact? I would agree with that. I mean, I make it a point to understand my business. I study it very carefully. So if I'm offering advice, you know, usually it's nicely put. I mean, it is nicely put. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help you. Right. And as far as help with an agent, I mean, this is another question. When you sign someone and they, and they get their, their book out and they're about to go on a book tour, do you help them book dates? In venues and oh boy, uh, I I'm also a publicist. Um, I have I have a little trick. Um, I don't even know if I should reveal it, but <laughs> what something that I do is if I'm invited to a writers conference, I always get um, an author or two of them invited as well. Right. So I mean I understand that a lot of the big five don't give you a lot of marketing money. So I, I try to give my authors a tour. Right. But, but I mean, again, like I say that, and you know, a lot of authors, potential people that might, might want to sign up, you hear, oh, they help. But is it fair to say that in the meantime, they need to be booking their own gigs and, and, and yes. you know, okay. When they book their own gigs, is it wise to kind of run it by you, the idea of it, also being a publicist, and say, is this a wise venue for me to use? Is this kind of a direction I need to go? Is it, is it smart for them to check it by you first? Um, only if they're uncertain. You know, okay. I, I'm sure, you know, if I've taken them on, I trust them. So I, I don't feel like I need to micromanage. Okay. Now, you mentioned book um, writers' conferences before, and you have a, you've been invited to a pretty big one Recently, haven't you? Two of them. Tell us about that. Uh, I'm going to the San Francisco Writers Conference in February and the DC Writers Conference in May. Now, at these writers conferences, obviously that you know you have a, a, a many you know big time speakers that come and people you know people want to listen. You know these are critical networking events, right? Yes, they're very good. Now, when an, a writer comes to these events. It is not advisable to get hammered and act an ass, is it? Uh, of course not. Exactly. Now, I'm not being, I'm not being about this. I'm, I'm trying. It just, it, it's, uh, it, it seems like a very silly question to ask, but I, I say that because what we try to, we try to encapsulate on this show, and we're doing it all in this very show. 
Um, thank you again, by the way, Alicia. Sure. Um, it, you know, it, it's that um, with nerves and with anxiety, uh, there can be there can be that easy way out. And 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 again, this is not in any way judging anybody, but I, you know, at, at these events, it's not putting on a false self; it's putting on your true self. Correct. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, your authentic self. Yeah, it's it's it's, you know, there's the, the, the way that you present yourself at these events, and really, as I I would take it all the way back to these readings. What what makes these people, what makes readings successful, is peeling away those drunken stereotypes and the 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 any kind of facade. And people are, I think that people will always be drawn to this person as being real with me now. Is is that safe to say? I, I have a lot of emotional intelligence, um, and I, I can suss out the real deal pretty quickly. What What about somebody? What What do they give off? Especially if you see them for the first time reading something. Like, what makes you when they're reading their material and, and speaking about it? What makes you go? I got to talk to them about their book later. If they're highly articulate. How so? What do you mean? Just if they're well spoken, if they choose their words carefully, and um, they're they're they have a style about them, they have they have a strong voice. Okay, and I mean, when you say when your clients is about to get up for their very first reading, what are some of the tips that you would give them? Be fearless. Just jump in. Eyes, you know, like when I pick up uh, the phone to make a pitch. I do it really quickly. I um, I try not to even think about what I'm going to say until I'm saying it, because I don't want to feel fear. Right, right. And I've I've found that that when when you when you try to practice too much with your pitch, it comes off way too quick, and and almost fake. Is that kind of is, do you kind of sense that sometimes when there's like too much rush to it? I think if you're nervous, it's going to show and it's going to be a turnoff. Right, because it seems like sometimes that comes off as desperation as well. Like you know, it, it, that can be off-putting. It's just a little clumsy, because I don't want to feel fear. Right, right, and I've I've found that that when when you when you try to practice too much with your pitch, it comes off way too quick, and and almost fake. Is that kind of is, do you kind of sense that sometimes when there's like too much rush to it? I think if you're nervous, it's going to show, and it's going to be a turnoff. Right, because it seems like sometimes that comes off as desperation as well. Like you know, it, it, that can be off-putting. It's just a little clumsy. You mentioned something at the beginning about being someone who is a tastemaker. You're someone who's kind of, yeah. um, and I, I realize that is actually a very uh, important role. And I, it sounds like it was to you. Could you could, could you speak a little bit about um, what you perceive your job as a tastemaker is to the culture in general? I want to take on projects that people will be speaking about for a long time to come and projects that change the world. Um, my most successful title when I was an editor at Picador was a book called Dress Codes of Three Girlhoods, My Mother's, My Father's, and Mine by Noel Howey. Oh. And that um, was submitted to me in the year 2000. And um, it was about uh, the author's transgendered father. And back then... People weren't really speaking too much about transgender people in the media. Um, but I saw that this was an opportunity to start the conversation. So let me ask you this question, which is kind of jumping a little bit to a different direction. What, in your mind, 
when you're reading something, what tells you if something's sellable or not? Well, uh, the platform for sure. Um, you know, how strong the prose is. Here's something that I know a lot of authors seem to have issues with um, because I've talked to many of them. Can you speak to the importance of knowing your genre when you're putting something together? Of course, because you're going to know uh, what other editors are interested in the same genre. And you're again, you're going to have done your homework. So you're going to know what sells, what's popular, what what's not so popular anymore. You have to keep up with the times. I think that's a really big point. And so I hope I hope that the, the authors who are listening to this are really taking notes here because these aren't just about how to get an agent. These are about how to have a book that can be successful in the marketplace, which is actually what the whole focus is. Wouldn't you agree? Definitely. Because if you can't sell it. Alicia, what what are I mean, what are some what are some storylines? What are some themes that writers maybe need to avoid for a little while? Because I mean, I, I see one thing will work really well, and the market will get just inundated with that same kind of story. Are there any kind of any kind of storylines that people should kind of maybe re give a rest for a little bit? Anything copycat? You know, if there's too much out there already. I'm, what saddens me is that I think the memoir category is having a bit of trouble right now. Um, a lot of editors have said to me that they, they get too many memoirs and they're saturated with them. So I think for the time being, it's tough to sell a memoir. Right. It, it, th I mean, those, those are questions that, that to me seem extreme. I mean, this may be oversimplified, but that seems like an extremely important question to ask like again is the can this sell you know is it is, is you know how many stories like this are there already out there and unless they have an extremely obviously a very unique way to retell the story you know it, it's just again the, the copycat the the carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon copy that you know a good way again doing your homework being diligent make sure you know what you're doing what genre you're getting into what kind of agent actually represents that where is there a place that people can go or you know can can they can people that even there aren't your clients you know when they send you work say kind of the idea this is what i'm doing is this you know is there already too much of this in the market can can they ask you questions like that it's as simple as going to amazon and Look, tell us more about that i mean are there other books out there with the same title right what about the category look at the category are there other books on with the same themes on the same topic it, it's it's you can I mean, I, I've been doing this for a long time, so I can find th uh, information pretty quickly. But uh, just poke around on Amazon and and research. Okay, okay. And it's 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 a uh, to to find an agent is 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 a feat in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And and uh, when when someone is signed up with you, you know, it, oftentimes they, they want to announce it on social media and stuff like that. You know, it, it, it's a huge marker. And, and when they, you know, when they, when you sign someone, have you, when they want to announce that they have you as an agent, do they, they tend to run that by you? Should they run that by you? You know, at, you um, know that, usually I make the announcement. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, again, it, uh, yeah, I, I promise you, I'm not flattering. I just think, I think flattery is the nicest way to lie. But again, you, you've got the publicist angle, you've got the editor's angle, and the agent's angle. Um, you know, what can you not do? 
I mean, you know, it, oh, it's so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you know, because these things, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, again, it's truly all in one package because, you know, Amade can tell you this too. And you know this as well, Alicia. I mean, these are typically three absolutely separate jobs and you do this for all of your clients. When do you sleep? I don't. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, oh Lord! <laughs> um, what what do you what what do you see your life like in five years following this path as an agent? I want to be doing the same thing. Same thing. Yep, I love it. And you know, do you ever have aspirations of having your, your like your own agency or anything like that? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I like having colleagues. I like like I said, bouncing ideas off of one another. Um, I like sharing perspectives. I, I enjoy working in a group. Now, I've always, to, to kind of look a, across the, the genre pool, have you ever had scripts sent to you? No, unfortunately, no. Okay, and that's not something that you're interested in? I am interested, but um, it's just my plate's too full. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And, I mean, again, like for scripts, again, I'm coming from a place of ignorance where this is concerned. You know, if you've got a script, I mean, that, that's, is that a completely different kind of, of, of agent that you need to send that to? Yeah, or is, it's okay. a different kind of agent. Okay. So as far as like, you know, with, with, with literary agents, I mean, that, that's kind of the, the divide is that, you know, the scripts need to go someplace else. And obviously with like music, you're talking about Amity, but if you've got like lyrics, that needs to go to a completely different source. Right. Right? Okay. Okay. Um, with memoirs, um, what do you think has brought such a huge amount, a deluge of memoirs now to make them kind of just saturated? the what, What's happened to make that so popular right now? I guess that's because it's become an industry. You know, there's so many classes on how to write a memoir. Um, everybody feels like their story is marketable. It just, editors are weary. It seems to be the most, again, place of ignorance, it seems like the memoir would be an extremely uh, touchy thing to edit. You know, it, it, is, have, have you, have, have, have any memoirs come across your death that you tried to work with? Many. Um, when I was an editor, actually, my, my biggest strength was editing memoir <laughs> yes. that's why i'm sad about this uh you know I, I i was really interested in doing memoir with memoirs alicia let me ask you this one, one of the one of my one of the i've not been in the debate but i've watched these hotly uh executed debates happen about um how much truth should be in a memoir now from my point of view like if somebody again if they're dead set they feel like their story is important is it is it dumb to say like you really need to stick to the facts that yes i mean there'll be some things that in memory that don't that maybe are fuzzy but to tell the story you really need to stick close to the truth i'm not a complete stickler because the kinds of memoirs that i like the most read like novels so it's it's a complicated issue right um i think taking a little bit of license is okay because again, like as a storyteller, I mean, again, I know it's not just in the South, but you listen to a story and you and you you kind of you, you divorce yourself. There's that that level of of separation you give yourself that you know if they just stuck to the bare bones of something, it would kind of come off boring. That a little a little bit of pizzazz is not a bad thing, is it? Right. Okay. Yeah. I. I again, it's about being creative. Right. What genres, what's selling right now that there's not a lot of? Like, what if somebody out there is looking for a project to get a hold of, what's a, what's, what's a, a, a theme or a topic or a genre that they, they, they should really consider right now that's hot? 
I would say narrative nonfiction is the hottest. Okay. And and when you say that, like, you know, what titles come to mind? Um, Guns, Germs, and Steel, and it's an older title, but love that book. Oh, sorry, sorry. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, that just just it, it reads again like a novel. I mean, it's not memoir, but you know, it's it has the pacing, it has um, you know linked ideas. Um, it, it flows. Well, let me bounce, bounce this theory off you. I mean, I've touched on this before. You have a much better chance of being happy with the end product, with uh, much a much better chance of selling it, much better chance of having an editor, if you loved writing it while you were in the moment. If you love writing, is it fair to say that people will have more of a chance of love of reading it? I think that love shows. Okay. I do. I mean, it, it radiates off the page. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what are some of the cliches that you see people falling into in the literary world as far as what they produce? To be honest with you, I have little tolerance for cliches. You now, if I see them, I move on. Right, they 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 stick out. I mean, they're they're. Do you find that if they, if they, if people if people are apt to use a cliche, that it kind of pops off the page pretty quick, doesn't it? Yeah, I just I you know I I uh, I don't have the patience. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, your honesty is absolutely refreshing. I mean, this is what it, it, it's. You know, it's in as, as far as agents and deals are concerned. Um, if an agent comes to you offering a deal that seems way too good to be true, is, is it safe to say that you should probably step back and really assess before you sign a contract with them? Uh, I've never had that happen. No, not with you, not with you. But I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, like, um, well, let me rephrase this question. Um, when someone's looking for an agent and an agent asks the potential client for money up front. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. That doesn't, that's, that's not the way it works. All right. Tell us something. Please tell us a little about that. Um, you know, the agent will negotiate your advance for you once you get an offer. And, you know, your, your advance could be split into fourths or thirds. So okay. there's the on-signing payment. There's the... Um, delivery payment and there's the on pub payment. So it's, you know, it. What I want to do, and I want to make sure that before we wrap this up, that we we really hammer on this, um, like asking for money up front. Are there any other red flags of a of an agent that's that's just not in it for the right reasons? Are there, are there things that a, like a potential client can look at and go, oh, I shouldn't be you know, involved with this person? Hard for me to answer this question because I've made it a business of surrounding myself with the best. Right. So I I haven't really seen anybody who's been mediocre. First of all, I just want to say once again, thanks for doing this. I think we're giving a really good picture of what it is, and I you know I know Cliff was talking about you know what genres are kind of hot to work on right now, but um, would you say that someone should be kind of attempting to write to what's hot now, or should they be trying to no. really refine and tell the story that that matters to them? Follow your passion. Both Cliff Brooks and I want to say thank you for spending this time with us. We also want to say thank you to Alicia Brooks for a great interview. You can find her at the Gene V. Nagler Literary Agency or jvnla.com. The music for this episode was provided by the fantastic Justin Johnson. You can find him at justinjohnsonlive.com. Until next time, 
Remember to be courageous. Do the hard work. Conquer your obstacles creatively. Learn to trust your heart. For it's easy to lose our path in this business of music and poetry.